0: Everywhere you look, from groceries to utilities to gas, prices keep going up. Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin can dramatically help lower your energy costs year-round
1: by replacing drafty windows and doors in as little as six weeks. And now you can
0: save even more by taking advantage of no interest and no down payment for up to 36 months when you order by November 30th. Set your free in-home consultation today at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply show detailed
2: for details. delivery, 2023
1: live from the annex wealth management studios at the avenue it's the jeff wagner show come join the conversation on the old national bank talk and text line at 855-616-1620 old national bank get old now here's wtmj's
0: jeff wagner good afternoon wisconsin welcome to the show it is good to be back in the studio thanks to tracy johnson for filling in for me last week when i was on on it was actually my, my last, at least in work period of vacation. I am, uh, I, I've got a little bit of accumulated vacation to take off, and my last show, of course, is December fifteenth, and I will be here with the exception of Thanksgiving every day between every weekday between now and then, and then take a couple weeks off um, at the end of the year. But the last show is of course December fifteenth. But it's straight run twenty four shows left. I, I stopped. Certainly over 6,000 programs on WTMJ, over 6,000, probably over 6,500 broadcasts, and we're down to the final 24. So lots, lots of things to say as we move on. Hey, during the week I was gone. Just a couple things, a couple comments and stuff that happens. Um, first of all, on a semi-personal level, uh, Carol Meekins who is been a just a huge broadcast Mainstay on today's TMj4 announced that she was retiring at the end of the month at the end of November Carol and I sent out a tweet if you follow me on Twitter it's at Jeff Wagner 620 and and actually in preparation for leaving WTMJ I've started changing my Twitter stuff around new Twitter picture up there as well and we'll make some adjustments as to that as we go on but I sent out a tweet on this and it's something I, I feel very strongly about I've had the the pleasure of getting to know a lot of people in in local media, and national media over the years. And I will just tell you this. Carol Meekins from Today's TMJ4 is absolutely the nicest, most genuine person you will ever meet. And as I said on on Twitter, her longevity in a business that is especially tough on women is a tribute to her talent and her grace. She is a real class act. And um, I remember... My late wife, who was did, did not impress easily, I <laughs> think that would be safe to say. At one point in time, she said, "You know, can you introduce me to Carol Meekins?" And I said, "Well, sure, I could." And we ended up going out to dinner with Carol and her husband Mark, and we they, we became very, very fast friends o- over the years. And she's just again just a delightful person and a true class act. And I I wish her nothing but the best. And, and yes, I I meant what I said on Twitter. It, this the TV news is a very, very tough business because, unlike radio, where people hear you, and and look, and I I understand, we we have cameras up here, so if you want to go on to YouTube or go to WTMJ.com and watch live, you, you can. But really, we're spoken word, I and mean, that's that's it. It's one of the reasons why I always say people know you from they they recognize you from TV. And I did TV for like seven days, seven years in a row, um, on a daily basis. They recognize you from TV, but they know you from radio. But but TV is just brutal because if you're having a bad hair day, okay, well people see it, you know. And and as as people age, it's it's, it's not fair <clears throat> at all. But the reality is, I think. The public is tougher on women aging than, than men aging. That's just kind of the reality of this. And interestingly enough, women are especially tough on other women. Oh, you know this and that. And the fact that that Carol has been able to, I don't know, maintain maintain her position on a big time newscast and, and still bring that energy every day is just—it's a tribute to her. And she is going to be very, very much missed. Okay, the the other. I guess big departure announced while I was gone. Um, Matter of fact, I heard about this. I was on a golf course, and my phone kind of blows up, and it's like, okay, what's going on here? I'm on a golf course, but I dig the phone out of the golf bag, and people were telling me that Craig Council has left. Now, I I am – matter of fact, a couple of my teammates, my colleagues, my coworkers here had been arguing with me for months because I was making the point that Craig Council was gone, that the fact that he chose – not to sign a contract extension during the, the year, told me that that he had pretty much decided that it was time to move on. And as I've argued on the radio, I, I get it. I mean, he, I, the thing I was wrong about is I thought he was going to go to New York and reunite with David Stearns. And and I mean, I made this argument on the radio. I said, look, they're they're going to pay him a lot more than the Brewers are going to pay him, and he's going to have the opportunity to work for the first time with, a, with an ownership group that has just a ton of money. So you, you don't have to dump Josh Hader in the middle of the season because you're not going to be able to afford to re-sign him, or you don't want to pay the amount of money he's going to win in arbitration. And, and, you know, I mean, I said it made sense to me that he's going to go to the New York Mets, because they'll, they'll be buyers, and they can say, okay, here's all the money in the world, and, you know, we're going to let you, you have an unlimited budget, just go ahead and spend, bring the players in you want. So, and people Oh, no, he'll never leave Wisconsin. He's got all these ties, et cetera, et cetera, and there's loyalty. I just kept saying that that's nuts. Now, the thing that surprised me about the development is that he chose to to go to Chicago, which is, on the one hand, if you want to look at it from purely a a Brewers fan's perspective, that is sort of waving goodbye but only using one finger to wave goodbye at at the fans. And so I, I understand that. At the same time, at the same time, I always, when I try to analyze stuff, I try to put myself in other people's places. The, the idea that, oh, there's going to be all this loyalty involved and things like that—that that was always crazy. I mean, it was just always crazy. At the end of the day, Craig Council, like most of the people, if not all of the people in professional sports, and like people, you know, at, at in their own lives, they're in it for themselves, and that's not a bad. I'm not being judgmental about this, it, but it, they're in it for themselves. And think about think about your own job. Okay, let's say let's say you're a radio talk show host. Let's say you've been working at a place for years and years and years. Your contract is up and the station that you one of your competitive stations comes to you and says, Jeff, tell you what, here's the deal. We're going to triple your salary and we're going to give you an unlimited budget. We're going to put your show in syndication. We're going to do advertising. We're going to spend all this money. Do we mention we're going to triple your, your salary? Well, no matter how much loyalty and affection you have for where you're going, you know, you're probably going to leave. That's just human nature. And I don't care whether you're a radio talk show host or whether you're, you know, a salesman for an auto dealer. That's how you make your living. You've come up through the ranks. You know, you started maybe, you know, I don't know, cleaning the floors or whatever. Now you're a real good salesman and you're selling, I don't know, Chevys. And the rival Chevy dealer comes to you and says, we're going to triple your salary and we're going to give you all these other perks. You're gone. It's just this idea that, oh, people are supposed to be loyal and do those things. No, Craig Council is no different than, than anybody else. And this notion that, oh, he'll never leave Milwaukee, that was always naive. I am surprised, I am surprised that of the different options he had, he chose to go to Chicago. And um, under normal circumstances, if he had gone pretty much anywhere else than Chicago, I think I would have said, I wish him well. Um, I don't wish him ill. I understand the decision, but I hope the Brewers just continue to beat his brains out, to beat the brains out of the Cubs, you know, moving forward. That's the thing that hurts. But uh, again, it was just this naivete over the last several months. Oh, Craig Council's going to be here. Craig Council's, you know, going to be here. You know, no, it's it's not. It's just he he took the money and he ran and that doesn't make him a bad person. It doesn't undermine his successes here. It just shows that actually what he accomplished here made him desirable moving forward. It's just the reality. Okay, when we come back, those of us who do spoken word radio call stories like this low hanging fruit. Stick around. Okay so I have a rule that when I'm on vacation I'm I'm on vacation and just because I'm a news junkie I, I do I, I get up in the morning it's just what I do and I kind of like look at stories and things like that but I'm not actively like last Tuesday my 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 thinking is okay you know what are we doing today and are we going to go play golf or whatever or where we're going to have dinner I'm not obsessed with okay what am I going to talk about when I get back the, the following Monday on on the radio so I really don't start focusing on things until Well, we got back Saturday night. So last evening, Saturday evening and, you know, part of the day, Sunday, I I was starting to figure out, okay, what are you going to, you know, what are we going to do? And then I stumbled across this story, first reported on Wisconsin Right Now, which is a conservative website that's breaking a ton of stories. And I know you probably heard about this before, but not my take on it. Here is the story. Walworthosa tells city workers to avoid red and green Christmas de- decorations called snowmen, snow people. I saw the headline, and I immediately thought, "This is the Onion. That this is a satire. This cannot be a story." But read further. Here's the way Wisconsin right now reports it. I've got a link to the story. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. The city of Walworthosa's deputy city administrator, who, by the way makes a hundred and thirty nine thousand five hundred and forty two dollars so if you live in Wokwoktosa, this is what you get for a hundred forty grand a year the city of Wauwatosa's deputy city administrator has instructed city workers that they should avoid using red and green in public spaces to celebrate Christmas instead top city officials are urging them to decorate counters with purple and blue and snow people what the administrator appears to be calling snowmen the email went out this week from Deputy City Administrator Melissa Contario Weiss. It also notes that the City Administrator James Arcambo is on board with these instructions. Okay, she makes what did I say? One hundred thirty-nine thousand dollars. He makes hundred and almost one hundred eighty-five thousand. So this is what you get for in Wisconsin, at least in Wauwatosa, for your money. Here is the text of the memo that was sent out. City employees. As the holiday season approaches, Mr. Archambeau and I ask that you take some time to reflect on our commitment to create a welcoming and inclusive environment for all our residents and visitors to our buildings, as well as all our co-workers. At City Hall in particular, December is our busiest month of the year, with many residents visiting in person to pay property tax bills. We strive to ensure that every visitor to our buildings feels valued and respected, regardless of their individual beliefs and traditions. Currently, Christmas decorations are prevalent throughout public counters at City Hall and perhaps, perhaps other buildings as well. While we understand the significance of this holiday for many, it is important to recognize that not all Walwatosa employees, residents, or residents business owners celebrate Christmas in our ongoing efforts to foster a more equitable and inclusive community we believe it is crucial to be considerate of how we decorate public spaces during the season to that end the memo continues we kindly ask that departments refrain from using religious decorations or solely associated with Christmas such as red and green colors when decorating public spaces within city buildings let me read that last part again to this end we kindly ask that departments refrain from using religious decorations or solely associated with christmas there's a word missing there such as red and green colors when decorating public spaces within city buildings instead we encourage you to opt for more neutral and inclusive del- del- we opt Instead, we encourage you to opt for more neutral and inclusive decorations that celebrate the season without favoring any particular faith belief system. As an aside, because we all know that red and green, well, that's associated with faith belief systems. Where do, what, where do these people come up with these concepts? This makes no sense at all. Anyway, here are a few suggestions Winter Wonderland, snowflakes, snow people. Snow people and other non religious symbols associated with winter. Lights and greenery. Festive lighting and greenery can create a warm and welcoming atmosphere without specific religious connotations. All right. Well, I guess you can't have a Christmas tree. Northern lights draw inspiration from the Aurora Borealis and incorporate colors like blue, green, and purple. That's what we need. We need more purple at Christmas time in Wauwatosa. Above all, Our goal is to foster inclusivity and respect. Like when I go to pay my property taxes and there's like red and green, I feel like I'm disrespected. Okay. Your creativity can play a significant role in helping reach that goal by embracing inclusive decorating practices. By embracing inclusive decorating practices. Where in the hell do these terms come from? Who I, 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 okay. Okay. I'm 60 something years old I swear I've never heard the term inclusive decorating practices before I think these crazy woke lefties just make this stuff up Well, we need inclusive decorating practices. By embracing inclusive decorating practices, we can reinforce our commitment to being a more equitable and welcoming place for all people who live in Wauwatosa, do business in our community, and our co-workers. Because God forbid you should walk into City Hall and there might be, I don't know, a couple like round Christmas ball ornaments that are red and green. Your cooperation in helping meet this goal is appreciated. Together, we can make Wauwatosa's municipal buildings a place that everyone can feel comfortable visiting throughout the holiday season. Thank you for your dedication to creating a more inclusive and equitable environment in the public spaces of our buildings. Melissa Canterio Weiss, um, ICMA, CM, Deputy City Administrator, City of Woke did I mention that she makes like 140 grand a year, and the city administrator who signed off on this makes like 180 grand? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Just so you know, for those of you who live in Wauwatosa, this story has, I hate the phrase gone viral because it's a cliche, but it has gone viral. Woke Wauwatosa is a laughingstock across the country, and arguably across the world because of this today. The idea that we can have snow people, can't have snowmen, and what we need is, I don't know, we need more purple and blue. We need less red and green because when somebody's coming in to pay their property taxes, they may feel excluded. Inclusive decorating practices. 855-616-1620, that is the old National Bank talk and text line. Just when, just when you think you have heard it all, just when you think you have seen it all, woke, woke Tosa jumps into the breach. All right, is this a wonderful moment for inclusivity or is this just craziness? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, Eight five five six one six one six one the old national bank talk and text line. Just when you think you have heard it all, woke woke Tosa weighs in. We don't want red and green. Enough of these holiday colors at City Hall. We want more inclusivity. I swear you cannot make this up. You know, one of the big things in the twenty five years I've been doing this has been that the change in Wawatosa as it's gone from a relatively conservative community to a community which in many respects is just nuts just absolutely nuts. And this is nuts. The assistant city administrator urging city workers to embrace inclusive decorating practices and making Wauwatosa's municipal buildings buildings, a place that everyone can feel comfortable visiting throughout the holiday season. Because God knows if you walk into city hall and there's a Christmas tree. With Christmas ornaments up there, oh you might be absolutely devastated. 855-616-1620. Jeff Wagner unchained, thank you for the way you report these stories. Go, Jeff. I you, no, this is this is look, this is this is what we in talk radio call low-hanging fruit. You you read it and the first thing is this cannot be right. Wisconsin right now, the story that broke this, they have to be making this up. They can't be right, but they are. Um, Jeff, I am a Tosa resident. Perhaps City Hall could be most inclusive by not being closed on Christmas Day. So all those residents of other traditions can conduct business under the inclusive colors during the holiday. Um, Jeff, I'll never understand how it's okay to dump on Christian holidays. But if it was Ramadan or something, it would be okay to put up all the religious decorations they want. Jeff, red and green symbolize holly, holly berries. They are associated with the season of winter, not necessarily Christmas. Well, obviously, that's not what the kooks that run the city of Waukesha think. Did I say kooks? Yes! Kooks! And highly paid kooks at that. Um, oh, OMG. Um, what's wrong with these people? They must have a miserable life. Well, I, it just, I, I mean, you can tell, if this is one of these things where they're obviously sitting around thinking, what what can we be offended about today? Obviously, the city administrator and the assistant city administrator, these are two examples of people I've been describing for 25 years as the politically correct and the perpetually offended, the people that sit around waiting for somebody to knock that chip off their shoulder. What can we be upset about today? Oh, yes, I know we have too much red and green around. Um, you got that there. Um, um, Jeff, I have no words. I don't know what to say about this. My head is about to explode. Merry Merry Christmas, Jeff. If they don't want to recognize Christmas, then they can just work on Christmas. Uh, Jeff, the woke just think of think of things to create problems like this. And if you complain, then you're the Nazi racist, and you end up getting attacked. Jeff, what a joke. Um, yes. Uh, Jeff, uh, isn't blue the color most associated with Hanukkah? Well, I, I, yeah. And by the way, I, I don't I don't care if they've got lots of blue and silver there as well. I just think this idea of telling the employees, all right, you know, we don't want anything that might be associated with Christmas. And then, of course, the, the snow people. We can't even – this Melissa Conterero Weiss can't even say snowmen, okay? Now, I, I, I don't know – What is it that makes something a snow person versus a snow man or a snow woman? I don't know. One of our texters asks, what if you put that carrot in the nose of the snowman? Are you going to offend the vegans? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Dave in South Milwaukee. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Dave.
3: I agree agree with your uh, opinion about the colors. I don't see why you have to change them. And... I have I have just two other comments that first I thought you were talking about Wauwatosa. Now you're talking Waukesha.
0: No, no. Wauwatosa, woke, so. Wauwatosa. Now, thanks for call Dave. No, it's, wa- it's Wauwatosa or again, Woke tosa. And this is just the latest example of this sort of craziness that's there. John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Uh, good
1: afternoon. Uh, everything you said is right. Uh, you know, I, I don't understand. These people are making too much money. <laughs> they, they they make so much money that they just sit around and think about dumb stuff to come up with. And l- like the other callers were saying, uh, if you don't believe in Christmas, you don't want nothing to do with Christmas. Then let them, like they say, let them go to work and keep working. So why are you accepting of being off and with pay I, and everything else? You, you're you get getting all the benefits, you know, that Christmas, and but you want to... Right. You want to disguise it and say it's something else. And, yeah. and like they say, instead of saying God, they'll say a higher calling. <laughs> no, you know, they mix up everything with, with, with yeah, this. It, but
0: it is. No, I, John, I no, 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 thanks. You know, you're right. OK, a couple of our, our texters are making the point. Now, I, I always I get into arguments with this. I always say poinsettias and some people say poinsettias, whichever. I don't want to have that fight, but. People saying, Jeff, does this mean you can't have red poinsettias or poinsettias? Does this mean they can't have those there? Because, well, they're, um, they're red and they're green. Are, are people going to be upset about this? I mean, really, who thinks about, who thinks about this? And again, one of the other questions is that, um, of course, you know, is this the big issue that you have in, in Woke Woke Tosa that's out there? The White House. I mean, the White House has, I hope you're sitting down for this, because even under Joe Biden, Joe Biden, even then, you have this thing. And I hope you're sitting down. And if you're driving, be prepared to pull over because I don't want to create any accidents. They they have they have the national Christmas tree. Yes. Yes. My message to the city administrator and the assistant city administrator, who, by the way, make one hundred and eighty and one hundred and forty thousand dollars, respectively, from the taxpayers in Woke, Woke Tosa. Yes, there's a national Christmas tree. There is a national Christmas tree. But, of course, we don't (laughs) want... We don't want to have, we want to have snow people and we want to have red and white. Jeff, welcome back. Um, this falls under one of Wagner's rule of life. It's actually rule of life number one. Thanks for remembering. Life is tough. Get a helmet. They're trying to be more inclusive, yet the memo is doing exactly the opposite. And the leadership is not smart enough to understand that. I am willing to bet that these leaders do not practice what they preach at their own home um yes um Jeff now you know why we moved 33 miles west and got out of Wauwatosa we could see this coming a long time ago yeah I think that there is an element of that out there um let's talk to Mike in Mequon Mike you're on WTMJ good
1: afternoon Jeff first of all you'll be missed
0: thank you uh, I will miss you too all, Mike I will. I will miss. I will. And the truth is, I will miss you more than you guys will miss me. I understand that, and that's the way it should be. But thank you for the kind words.
3: No, I won't get my free pizzas anymore. from Pop culture. <laughs> I
0: got it. Okay.
3: Um, the, uh, the thing is, the, where's the logic in this? We're trying to be more inclusive by excluding Christmas. What is the lunacy of this? How can how, how do these people get in positions of leadership? You're trying to be more inclusive, and you're blocking out red and green. What, you want yeah. to get rid of the stoplights?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's right, Especially maybe around Christmas time. I mean, maybe then you have to get rid of the red and green Christmas lights, and we have to switch them to, I, I don't know, well, purple. That was the idea, purple and, purple, and blue purple, and things yeah, like that. Purple, <laughs> now, yeah, now, now, thanks yeah, for uh, the call, Mike. It, it's just, you you know, and some people say, oh, this is just an overreaction. No, this is the low-hanging fruit. See, this is, right, do, is this... Is this having anything to do with the, I don't know, high property taxes or out of control crime or things like that in Wokwok Tosa? No. But it is endemic of what is going on in bureaucracies all across this country. And the fact that, you know, people think this is a good idea, that apparently the assistant city administrator thought it was a good idea. She got the head of the city government to sign off. I am told that the mayor, at least, is implicitly adopting this. this its just, And the argument is going to be, well, you want to exclude people. I, I'm sorry if you're offended by walking into City Hall and you see a Christmas tree that is up there or you see some city employees that have some, I I don't know, like Christmas ornaments, red and green balls on their desk. If you are offended by that, I'm telling you, it is your problem. And you really do need to figure out how to get a life. And the fact that the city is, at least the people that make the most money in the city, according to the taxpayers, that this is how they are able to spend their days thinking about, oh, how can we make sure that people aren't offended? And by the way, by the way, you, they, these two have managed to make Walwatosa, your community, if you live in Walwatosa, it is a national, an international laughing stock. And yet, they aren't going to continue to get their paychecks. Let's talk to Dave. Uh, Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
3: Hi. Yeah, I have to say this woke thing has just gone too far. I hold a master's degree, and I don't know what they're going to call that. <laughs> and I'm a police chief, and I'm waiting for my title to change. That's all I have, Jeff.
0: Thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks, Dave. Yes, you're right. You right. We, can't have, we can't have police chiefs anymore because that will be offensive to Native Americans or indigenous people or, or whatever. I, look, I I understand that there's real issues in this world when it comes to tolerance. Later on today, we're going to talk about, you know, the, the the anti-Semitism with the ugly anti-Semitism, which has been exposed by the terrorist attacks against Israel and is showing up all over this country. There, there, there's real issues that are out there. My argument is people like the administrators in Wawatosa make it worse. In the name of trying to bring us all together, they divide us because I seriously cannot believe – That there is a person of the Jewish faith, for example, who would walk into City Hall and see, I don't know, uh, a a bowl of, and again, I'll use, imagine like the the balls, like ornaments, round balls, red and green balls sitting like on somebody's desk. I cannot imagine a a person of the Jewish faith who would sit there and say, I am offended by the fact that you have a couple, you know, red and green Christmas balls that are on your, your desk. It just can't – I cannot believe it. And, and maybe there would be some person out there, but why do we always have to do what I call legislate it to the common denominator, not denominator? Why do we always have to sit and worry that there might be some person somewhere who might be offended by something? Why do we always worry about the unicorn? Why don't we worry about the entire herd that, that is out there as opposed to that one? But, again, this, this is what goes on. Who knows what other ideas that they would have? But again, in Wauwatosa or wokwoktosa you these two city administrators have managed to make your community. And I think Wauwatosa is a great community. Don't get me wrong. I have some very, very dear friends who live in the Highlands, wonderful restaurants. Enjoy the community. But one of the things that I've noticed over the last couple decades is you, you have, for whatever reason, a cultural shift that is going on there, which has gone from changing the nature of the community to now making the community an international laughing stock. Good job. Back with much more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Well, there is good news for other communities. You, you should feel lucky. That the people that make a ton of money running Walwatosa, the unelected bureaucrats, the ones that are decided that they want to cancel Christmas. We, we, we have to have snow people and we, we can't have red and green. And, and I mean, God forbid, I don't know if, if an employee comes in wearing a Christmas sweater, are they going to be disciplined? Is that no Christmas sweaters allowed because... Heaven forbid you might offend somebody. Well, anyhow, I mean, I guess there is good news in other communities. Because I I honestly don't know if woke Wokwoktosa does this. But, you know, for example, November 26th, you know what happens in Menominee Falls? Aaron, who's producing the show today, you know what happens? It's the Menominee Falls Christmas Parade. Yes, they actually have a Christmas parade Menominee Falls. You know what happens in West Alice on December 2nd? They have Christmas on the Avenue in West Alice. Then, of course, we know coming up in a few weeks, there's the Waukesha Christmas Parade. And we all know about the story in Daryl Brooks a couple years ago, but the Waukesha Christmas Parade is back. Yes, that's going to be Sunday, December 3rd. My guess is that there are all sorts of other communities that. At the risk of offending somebody somewhere, they're having their Christmas parades now. I do not know if Waupaca has a Christmas parade or not. If the city administrators, the people who make all this money, had their way, my guess is it's pretty clear that that would not happen. But um, you know, that's uh, that's there, um, Jeff. Who are these people speaking for? I'm guessing the biggest complainers go to visit family members over the Christmas holiday who have Christmas trees, red and green lights, and snowmen in the yard, and they will willingly accept gifts. I'm I'm just trying to imagine. You you get that first decent snowfall. I I mean, I wonder, the city administrators, I wonder if if they have kids, and the kids say, Mom, Dad, we want to go out and play in the snow. Okay, go out and make snow people. I just is this what this has come to? No, don't answer that question, yeah, we're gonna go make snow people, Jeff. I'm offended by stupid people. um, are they not gonna have the Christmas train that's supposed to happen? Next week, um, Jeff, if you can't have red poinsettias or poinsettias, you can't have white ones either. Um, okay. I I don't know. Um, Jeff, whatever happened to celebrating our cultural differences? Stop trying to mute everybody's opinion. Well, I think, you know, you know, we have, you know, you have that all going on there. But uh, I don't know. So, again, I, I just 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 be prepared those of you who live like in Menominee Falls where you have the Christmas parade and where you live in West Allis and you have Christmas on the avenue, be prepared. You know, Be prepared because you've got woke bureaucrats in Wauwatosa who've decided, okay, we, we can't have that here. We can't have people celebrating this. So I don't know, maybe they're coming for you next. Um, what can you do? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Well, same day, same sort of stories. I was away for a week, and, but for a week, but the, the, the out-of-control crime going on in the city of Milwaukee continues unabated. And it's, it's actually, it, it's the randomness, I, I think, in many respects that gets your attention. I don't know if you saw this story. Friday, so last Friday, uh, on the east side, kind of right by UWM, one twenty p.m. near Shepherd and Hampshire Avenue. So that's kind of the hip and trendy east side. What happens is it's 1.20 in the afternoon. There's a man who turns out to be a, a rabbi. Now, I, I don't think he was targeted because he was a rabbi, but he's, he's in his driveway, all right, in his driveway, 1.20 in the afternoon. Um, UW police were initially investigating a strong-armed robbery, said four um, suspects approached the victim, demanded their vehicle— Two suspects fled in a white SUV. Two other suspects fled in the victim's vehicle. Police said the two vehicles were last seen heading northbound on Shepherd Avenue. Police described the suspect as four black males, one with dreadlocks, wearing a black hooded sweatshirt. So this is kind of a nice, safe, what they perceive as a safe kind of community. It's one twenty in the afternoon, and the the, the person again turns out to be a rabbi. They're, they're they're in their driveway, and they're the victim of a carjacking. Four and I think that my guess is they're young men. Four young males go up. You stick a gun in some person's at some person's head, and you take their car. Now, now here's the the thing. UW police say they would like to remind everybody to remain aware of their surroundings and report suspicious behavior to them. UW police say they would like to remind everyone to remain aware of their surroundings and support report suspicious behavior to them. Okay, I, I get that you want to be aware of your surroundings. But what does it say when you cannot be in your own car, in your own driveway at one twenty on a Friday afternoon? I mean again, this isn't somebody who's oh she gotten lost and is wandering through a high crime neighborhood at two o'clock in the morning. This is somebody who is in their driveway at one o'clock at one twenty in the afternoon and they are not safe. And then they say you should report suspicious behavior to them. Well, okay, let, let, let's let us let us take a step back here and, and let's have a reality check because I don't disagree with that. But imagine what happens. Just just let let's have a reality check. All right. So let's say you see two cars driving slowly through the neighborhood with two young black men in them. One's in one car. One's in the other car, and you think, huh? That that just that looks a little bit funny. You call the police. Can you imagine what is going to happen? Okay, well I, there's there's two cars. I, I think they're a little bit suspicious. They just look like they don't belong. It, it's these two It's it, it's an SUV driving slowly, and it's got four young black males in it. Whoa, whoa. well, then wait. You know, wait wait till that call comes in. You know, and then wait what happens when the audio of that nine one one call or that call gets gets printed out there, and then everybody's going to be saying you're racist. I, I'm just saying that. This is it, it – report suspicious behavior is fine, but you got to be careful what's the suspicious behavior we're going to report and how we're going to report it and how can we define this. I, I, I don't disagree with what the police are saying, but this is just the reality that's out there. And it's one of the reasons why there needs to be an emphasis on getting crime under control because I don't care who is the perpetrator. I don't care what the background of the person is. I don't care what the color is. The problem that you have is if you cannot be in your own driveway – around the UWM area at 1.20 in the afternoon without being f- afraid of being carjacked, well, okay, that says a lot to do about the livability of a system, you know, period. And then, of course, one of the other stories that's out there, and I, I sent out a tweet on this because this one just just hits home. Um, 20-year-old Milwaukee rapper, his name he goes by the name of Lil Frank. But his name is Frank Mosley. He has now been accused of killing a 32-year-old pregnant Wauwatosa woman. Her name was Erin Um Apparently, the, the facts are, it's just, I mean, what, what's ended up happening is, again, this is another reckless driving incident. He is accused of driving a stolen vehicle um, 11 a.m. November 2nd in Wauwatosa, Apparently, what happened is this 32-year-old female who was pregnant, and it was actually her fourth wedding anniversary, she's um, in an intersection. The guy runs a red light. Um, The posted speed limit in the incident was 30 miles per hour. The striking vehicle was estimated to be traveling at a rate of 100 miles an hour. Runs a red light fleeing from the police, 100 miles an hour, slams into this woman's car. She's 32 years old. She's dead. The guy driving the stolen car gets out of the car and starts to run away, starts to run away, ultimately ends up getting caught. Can you imagine being the husband, getting that particular call? And, and again, this is a situation of just, um, you know, ten thirty, ten forty-five in the morning, you're you're just out there running errands or whatever and boom that that's that's just it we've got to get a handle on reckless driving we've got to get a handle on car thefts we've got to get a handle on carjacking or else this whole community is going to become flat out unlivable and that's just the truth back with more in just a couple minutes this is jeff wagner
1: live from the annex wealth management studios at the avenue it's the jeff wagner show now here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
0: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Okay, our live stream wasn't working for the first hour of the program, but it is now. It is now up. I am back at the studio. You can check us out. Um, we've got our own YouTube station. Go to YouTube.com, put in WTMJ or WTMJ.com to watch live. So. We were off. It uh, wasn't working for about an hour, but now it seems to be working. Okay, tough weekend for Wisconsin sports fans. Um, I was. Uh, we, we came back from Florida on Saturday. Our flight was eh, 530, 5.30, 5.30 Florida time, 4.30 our time. So I get to the airport, and I ran, run into a number of friends of, of mine, um, including my very, very good friends, uh, Dan and Susie, who big Wisconsin sports fans. Matter of fact, um, big Badgers fans. We were... We were um, with them at the Iowa football game uh, a couple weeks ago, along with a couple other friends of ours. And I had forgotten that Wisconsin was playing Northwestern. Northwestern is a dreadful team. No offense. I have a very close friend, my buddy Joe, who northwestern grad who drives down to evanston to watch all the home games and stuff and he's just i think he's kind of given up on northwestern well so we're we're in line waiting to board the southwest flight and my buddy dan comes up and he says did you see this and i i forgotten that wisconsin was playing late afternoon game against northwestern and i think it was halftime it was 24 to 3 wisconsin losing they're losing to northwestern then they go on to get crushed okay so I mean, what are the expectations? This is a bad Wisconsin football team. All right. So then, yesterday afternoon, I go to my favorite watering hole with my buddies. We watch the Packers game, and you, I mean, it was competitive, but you knew they were going to lose. And because, I mean, the fact is, the Wisconsin football team is awful. The Packers team is bad, and so I'm actually not even that disappointed when they lose. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a Packers, I'm not a Packers hater. I just think this this is a lost season. It's not like they're going to the Super Bowl. They're not close to going to the Super Bowl. So now it's kind of like, okay, if you end up losing the game, that's just gets you a little bit of a higher draft pick because I think we are in a wait-to-next-year mode there. So th- that's it. no expectations with the Packers, little expectations with Wisconsin Badgers. The one thing, and this is kind of heresy, I mean, uh, to say uh, what a disappointment the Bucks have been. This is a bad Bucks team right now, and it's and I mean, you've got arguably with Giannis, you've got the best player in the NBA, um, Damian Lillard, one of the three or four best players in the NBA, and they're they're losing. They're what five and four on the season. They're getting drilled. Orlando is a terrible basketball team. Orlando crushed them. They weren't competitive. Indiana is not a good basketball team. Indiana comes back. The Bucks, Bucks, blow a big lead. The Bucks, as a matter of fact, they're lucky. They could have lost opening night. They are lucky that they are five and four at this point in time. And you, you wonder what's going on. I'm, look, I'm not a basketball coach, but. I, I will tell you this. You can't win too many games when you're giving up 115, 120, 125 points. The defense is absolutely terrible. Just terrible. I could score 20 points against the Bucks on any given night, given the way they play. I could score 20 points. It's just awful. And I don't know if it's the, the new coach, and you know. but he, the, the new coach isn't going to be the new coach. He's going to be the former coach pretty soon, I think, if they don't straighten stuff out. Because... This is, and it's a team that's built to contend to the NBA for the NBA championship. And I understand you're only this tonight will be the tenth game, but the, I don't think the owners, I don't think people made this investment expecting that the Bucks were going to be limping around around a five hundred team. I mean, this is a team that you think is going to win sixty or seventy games and be dominant going into the playoffs, and maybe they'll turn it around. But I, I would argue they're getting worse, not better. If you look at the, some of these games, I mean. Again, Orlando is an awful team, and Orlando just lit them up. So that's, I think, the biggest surprise. The Packers and the Badgers, they are kind of what they are in football. But you've got this Bucks team, which is grossly underperforming. And, again, I don't know if it's coaching or what. I'm not a smart enough basketball analyst to tell you. But this is not what people signed up for. Now, having said that, my Marquette Warriors basketball team, I know they're the Golden Eagles, but if you're – if, if you're of a certain age, they're, they're still the Warriors. They're, um, they're moving up. They're number four in the Associated Press's top 25 poll. Number four, um, in the, the poll. Now, they play a road game against Illinois and then they go out to, um, the, the tournament in Hawaii and, and that's just a loaded tournament. So I think you'll have a better idea as to how good the team is, you know, once they, they play their next few games. But in, in what is a bad start for Milwaukee Bucks basketball and a, Dreadful start for both the Packers and the Badgers. Uh, maybe maybe Marquette's going to be the the bright spot in the basketball season. Wisconsin men's basketball team is struggling as well. Just looks like it's going to be a challenging year for many sports teams. Hopefully the Bucks can turn around. One of our texters says, "Is Coach Bud still available?" Um, well, I think you know. I think he's probably the texter is probably not the only person asking this because yes, it's true that that uh coach bud wasn't able to get them past the first round of the NBA playoffs for 2 years in a row but if they keep playing like this they yeah, they they're, they're not a playoff team with the talent they have it's just it's stunning to me how badly this team is playing and that they've got certainly got the personnel to do well so okay what's different oh yeah maybe it's the coach okay when we come back is this really the america that you want stick around it is going to be a controversial topic One of our textures makes the point that uh, trading Drew Holiday is big hurt for the defense. I, I think that's that's correct as, as well. But it, but you don't do that unless you think you've got a plan B. And right now the plan B is not working. So we'll see. Early in the season, hopefully things will turn around. All right. Um, where I live in Florida, our our, our second place. Um, I, I live in a gated golf course community. So uh, there's and there's there's a whole bunch of neighborhoods mine is one neighborhood out of like 65 diff, different neighborhoods so the, the community is huge and there's there's i live on a golf course and there's a couple golf courses on the property as well and the the maintenance it's it's incredible it's incredible to watch one of the things i do in the morning is i wake up and our um the, the rear of our of our place looks east so get i wake up get a cup of coffee sit and i, I look out and I, I watch the sun come up and I, I watch the, these workers who are, you know, working on the golf course. And it, it's just – it's amazing to me. There's like an army of these workers that are out there, you know, getting the golf course ready. And then, you know, you go through the neighborhoods and you see an army of, of workers who are planting flowers and, you know, cutting tree branches. It, it's just there, – there's an army of, of workers that are there, you know, taking care of, of the property. Now, when I was down there last week, it was um, – it was, it was hot. I mean, it was like 80, 85 degrees and, and humid. Now, I, I, I like hot weather and stuff, but of course, I, I'm not out cutting down trees and planting flowers and laying, you know, topsoil and things like that. I'm, I'm okay here, you know, let me get in the golf cart and drive around or we are going to go to the pool or whatever. But there's this army of these workers that are working and they're working really, really hard um, doing all, all this stuff that you need to, to maintain the property. My guess is, of the workforce, and we're talking hundreds of people, my guess is most, if not all, are immigrants. That's just the, the reality. Um, some people from Mexico, lots of people from other places in South America. I know there's a lot of people in Venezuela. What from Venezuela? What, what I have noticed as well is in, in many of the cases where, there's, where they've got crews of workers, like the, the four person male or female four person will will speak english but a lot of the other workers don't they just don't so if you're you know if if you need to communicate you communicate with the, the four person who then does this but i i am impressed and it's difficult to to talk in generalities but i i am impressed with how hard working the the people are i mean doing all sorts of doing all sorts of Of What I think are are tough jobs under sort of difficult kind of conditions. And the truth of the matter is, and this is the uncomfortable truth, a lot of these people are working, um, doing jobs that I think they would have a hard time trying to get, I don't know, young Americans to do. And I I don't know how else to say that, but that's just kind of the reality. I mean, I I think that there's probably a lot of, you know, 20-somethings who are thinking, you know, what you you mean, you want me to be working in the hot sun for eight hours a day, you know, uh, uh, weeding or planting flowers or doing whatever. They they just – I think that's one of the things. But yet you have these workers from overseas who are working and they are providing a service, and I don't believe they're taking American jobs. I think they're doing jobs that most Americans would not be willing to do. So I've been thinking about that when I come across this issue with um, with immigration. I understand that we have to get control of the border. You cannot have open borders. No, no country, no. Uh, no country, essentially in the free world, allows open borders. And when you have thousands of people that are streaming into the country on, on any given day, they overwhelm social services. You, you, you cannot just allow people to come in willy-nilly without having you know, jobs for them and things like that. So you, you can't have open borders. At the same time, I think we need to recognize that for a lot of the people who are in this country – They are performing services that, quite like I said earlier, candidly, you couldn't get Americans to to do. So the big story in the New York Times, and the New York Times was interviewing a number of close advisors to Donald Trump, and they were saying, okay, what would a second Trump administration look like? If Trump gets elected in November of 2024, what's going to happen in 2025? And they were focusing on a number of his immigration advisors. Let me take a quick break. When I come back, I want to share... A portion of that story with you, and I. I my, my question is going to be just honest. Is this is this the version of America that you want to see? Stick around. Ooh. Okay, so here, here's again. This is a story the New York Times had yesterday, and this is based on on interviews with a lot of the, the Trump advisors as, as to what what would what would a second Trump administration look like and, and it focuses on the issue of, of immigration. Now, we all know that when Donald Trump ran for president in 2016, it was big on the, let's build the wall, let, let, let's build this wall, we've got uh, people who are pouring in from across our southern border and they're bringing drugs and things like that. Okay, so here's the New York Times story. Former President Donald Trump is planning an extreme expansion of his first term crackdown on immigration if he returns to power in 2025, including preparing to round up undocumented people already in the U.S. on a vast scale and detain them in sprawling camps while they wait to be expelled. The plans would sharply restrict both legal and illegal immigration in a multitude of ways. Trump wants to revive his first term border policies, including banning entry by people from certain Muslim-majority nations and imposing, reimposing a COVID-19-era policy of refusing asylum claims, though this time he would base that refusal on assertions that migrants carry other infectious diseases like tuberculosis. He plans to scour the country for unauthorized immigrants and deport people by the millions per year. To help speed mass deportations, Mr. Trump is preparing an enormous expansion of a form of removal that does not require due process hearings. To help immigration and customs enforcement carry out sweeping raids, he plans to reassign other federal agents and deputize local police officers and National Guard soldiers voluntarily contributed by Republican-run states. To ease the strain on ICE detention facilities, Mr. Trump wants to build huge camps to detain people while their cases are processed as they await deportation flights. And to get around any refusal by Congress to appropriate the necessary funds, he would redirect money in the military budget, um, as he did in his first term to spend more on a border wall than Congress had authorized. In a public reference to his plans, Mr. Trump told a crowd in Iowa in September, following the Eisenhower model, we will carry out the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. And this is a reference to something that Eisenhower did in 54 to round up and expel um, immigrants from Mexico. The story continues. In a second Trump presidency, the visas of foreign students who participated in anti-Israel or pro-Palestinian protests would be canceled. U.S. consular officials abroad will be directed to expand ideological screening of visa applicants to block people the Trump administration considers to have undesirable attitudes. People who were granted temporary protected status because they are from some countries deemed unsafe, allowing them to lawfully live and work in the U.S., would have that status revoked. Um, similarly, numerous people who've been allowed to live in the country temporarily for humanitarian reasons would also lose that status and be kicked out, including tens of thousands of the Afghans who were evacuated amid the 2021 Taliban takeover and allowed to enter the U.S. Um, Afghans holding special visas granted to people who helped U.S. forces would be revetted to see if they really did. It, it goes on and on and on. But but you get you get the idea that He is planning to take a massive a, a massive amount of resources and commit it to, again, trying to not just close the borders and and, and limit the, the flow of immigration, but actively you know, seek out people who are in this country, including people who have been in this country for a long time, and toss them out. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. I have – I believe that immigration is a very, very difficult issue, and and I understand what part of illegal don't you understand. I, I get that. At the same time, I, I live – I like to think I, I live in this real world. I, I think it's really unfortunate that Republicans missed the chance um, in early in Trump's administration to try to get a handle on, on immigration, um, and which to me is, number one, controlling the border, and number two – recognizing that you have millions of people who are in this country. Let's take the case of the Dreamers, you know, people who came into this country 20 or 25 years ago, you know, when their parents brought them here, who have lived in this country, who have not created problems at, at all, and who are, uh, again, working, they've gone to school here. You know, you come into this country at the age of four, and now you're 25. You have much more ties with this country than you do with the country that you originally came from. My belief has always been close the border. figure out ways to seal the border but at the same time what you have to do is not necessarily work out a path to citizenship but a path to legal residency For people who have been here for years, who have been contributing, who are doing jobs, in many cases, that Americans don't want to do, and who are not causing problems. Yeah, if you've got somebody who's come in illegally and, you know, is is a drug dealer or is committing crimes or whatever, send them to prison, then send their butts back to wherever they came from. No question about that. But does it... does it really make any practical sense to say, OK, we're going to redirect other law enforcement to try to round up people that have been in this country 10, 15, 20 years who have not caused problems? Is that is that really where we should be spending our time and our resources? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Let's have the conversation. 855 Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Jeff, I think this plan to deport these folks is immoral, anti-human, has nothing to do with Christian values. Um, uh, Jeff, I think people in this country all need to be ejected. Well, okay, the, tell me how you're going to do that. See, I, I, I just, I, one of the things I've tried to do over all these years is just have a reality check. You do not have enough immigration judges, enough immigration lawyers, enough bureau, uh, enough, you know, customs enforcement people, enough border control agents. You, you don't have enough to go out and, and just willy nilly arrest hundreds of thousands or millions of people. You, you don't we don't have the capacity to do that. So, my argument has always been, you, you have to, you have to pick and choose. You have to figure out, okay, what are our priorities? And to me, it's real simple. The priority would be, okay, let's start with the people who are in this country illegally who are creating the problems, the people who are committing crimes and things like that. Let's start with that. And then, Once we get a handle on that, we can worry about the the 27-year-old, you know, woman who came into this country with her parents when she was three years old, was educated in American public schools and high schools, went to college, is now married with two kids of her own. We can worry who's, you know, again, working at a job, not causing problems. We can then, you know, after we deal with all the the issues that are getting control of the border and that, the the idea of just rounding up people, I guess – it just i can't believe that you know people are are just are kind of comfortable with that jeff you're spot on how much is the plan going to cost and beyond taking military money for the wall um yeah i agree with you on immigration jeff but on the other hand we need to weed out the bad seats yes um, so America doesn't have a number another nine eleven. Yeah, I I understand, and I don't disagree with that. And that's when I think that one of the really dangerous things that's happening now is you've got people, thousands and thousands of people, and I said this last week and somebody or two weeks ago, and somebody was upset with me about that. You know, pouring across the border. I think it is naive to suggest that nobody that's coming across the, the border illegally now um has terrorist ties or uh, harbors ill intentions towards the United States. That's how you got 9-11. You got 9-11. You had all these people who came in, you know, under under visas and then just overstayed. We let them kind of just disappear into the fabric of the country. They organized and they committed 9-11. So I'm not naive. I, I think that that's one of the reasons why I think you have to start with I'm trying to get control of the border. And I think you have to be aggressive about trying to figure out, as the texture said, the bad seeds. But th- this idea that we're going to spend resources starting to, I, I don't know, try to identify, you know, a- anybody, any of the dreamers, for example, and-, and round them up and send them out just apart from the practicality of this. It just doesn't make any sense, Jeff. Immigrants have significantly lower crime rates than our own citizens. Yeah, um, Jeff. First, we must control the borders, stop the massive influx. After that, we can discuss what to do with those that are here already. To which I say Amen. See, that's 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 where I think the priority is, because you can't have. You can't have you know systems that are just overwhelmed. You can't have eight thousand people pouring into you know El Paso on, on any given day. It just overwhelms the systems that are out there. So I agree with that. Um, you know, uh, Jeff, people are fed are, are sick and tired of paying other people's bills. That being said, rounding people up sounds harsh. And that's, I think, precisely what they're looking at. Jeff, I have to disagree with you. <clears throat> we have military personnel that are in abundance throughout the country to help with border control and sweeping the neighborhoods where the drugs are being sold. Okay, this is my respectful response to that. The, the idea of, of taking the American military and putting them on the streets of our, our cities and having them go door to door looking to, to round up Ill, illegal people who might be here illegally – um I, i'm I'm telling you that that's something that we we haven't used the, the military for now, if you want to use the military to help again control the border that that's one thing, but putting military officials on on the streets to try to round up the usual suspects no i I don't I, I just I think that's kind of uh think that's kind of a of a scary scary sort of process. Jeff, if this actually happens, what comes after that? We get rid of the Hispanic Americans, the Asian Americans, the Muslim Americans, the African Americans. Um, yeah, Jeff, I agree. We have to get control over the issue of illegal immigration. I'm an immigrant um, who did it the right way and did get my citizenship. I believe a path to becoming a citizen with a time limit when this gets done should be implemented. And if not completed in that time, deportation should be allowed. Oh uh, Right, and I... I I'm not soft on illegal immigration. I'm not. I'm just saying that you have these practical issues that are out there. Gianni in Montello. Gianni, you're in WTMJ.
3: Yes. Good uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, listen. We just got back from the Philippines. My wife is is Filipino. We spent five weeks there. She came here illegally and illegally, legally, Legally, and uh, she didn't cross the border legally. And uh, you know, it cost us through you know lawyers' fees and the adjudication process. We're up at about eight thousand dollars now. But hey, listen, if you cross the border uh, under the Bush, Obama, or Trump administration, you ought to stay here in the United States. You're welcomed. You're needed. Uh, We we have a, a growing need for employment. But under the Obama, seem to you know we have eight eight million that have come, have come in in the last
0: I'm, three I'm, years. I'm sorry, Jenny, your, your your cell phone was kind of cutting out there. And and again, I you, uh, look here. Here's the here's the deal of this. You you cannot have unchecked borders. And, and again, no, I, I'll, I'll repeat again. You know, no no your no country, no in the free world has open borders. Somebody said, oh yes, they do in Europe. No, they don't in, in Europe if you're in the eurozone you can travel freely between various countries you know, if you want to if you're if you're in italy and you want to go over to france you can do that but you can only stay 90 days or maybe 180 days under certain circumstances you know and then then you've got to go back it's not it's not open borders that here you know pour across the border and then just you know live in another country you you can't do that in in europe um, they do allow, you know, travel again within the Eurozone, but it open borders in the sense of here, come anybody who wants to come live and stay here. No, that that's not the way it works because countries, you know, have to just do this. Um, Jeff, our government just has to do a better job of processing immigrants instead of this free flow that is happening now. Uh, again, I agree. I agree with that. That's see that that's the key. But this story, and some people say, well, how dare you believe the New York Times? No, I I do kind of believe the advisors. And, I mean, I listen to a lot of the speeches that President Trump gets, former President Trump. And there's no question that immigration and this uh, isolationist sort of stuff and, you know, all all people who are in this country who are immigrants are are bad – I, I, that That's going to be a theme if he is the nominee. Now, again, I'm on record as saying I don't think he's going to ultimately be the Republican nominee. But, I mean, my question would be, how does this work in, in real life? And are we going to seriously go to American campuses? And, look, I, I, I as I said earlier in the show, I, I think the display of anti-Semitism that has come forward after the October 7th attacks in Israel is, is just appalling. And, but are we going to really... Are we going to go to American campuses and say, "Okay, you—you know—you wrote something that was pro-Palestinian, or you know, you supported—you know—you uh, know, you supported again—you know—the thinking that you know Israel should get out of the West Bank or, or whatever? Are we going to really use that as a basis for deporting people? I mean, that—that's—that's that's now going to be the litmus test that we're going to throw all sorts of people out. How do you do that in the real world? And I mean. I don't know. I, I, I've heard this rhetoric. I mean, you, if you lived during World War II, you remember a lot of this rhetoric about let's round up this type of person or round up that type of person. And, and we know that didn't end very well. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So one of the things that we did do on, uh, well, I was on vacation last week, because we we were down, uh, we were in Florida with our our friends Alan and Patty, and uh, we went out to dinner, and then Wednesday night, uh, we we came back home after having a very nice dinner and sat down and, okay, maybe this says more about me than anybody else, but we watched the Republican presidential debate. It was going on outside of, uh, well, it was Miami, I guess. And so we watched it on TV, and we, we we actually even DVR'd it so we could watch it from the beginning. And so I... I sat through most of it. I, I think I last Alan and I lasted through the whole thing. I think our wives kinda of bailed out after after a while. But it was kinda of interesting to watch and I continue to believe that um, well, I, I continue to believe that that the, the more the, the Republican field gets winnowed. The better it's going to be as as an alternative to Donald Trump emerges, and then Republican voters can decide. Um, that that's starting to happen. If you recall, when the first Republican debate rolled around, there were what like eight people on the stage. Um, it was down to five, right? And now, if you haven't heard the news, uh, Tim Scott, uh, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, he announced that he's dropping out of of the race. In one respect. This is unfortunate. Um, Tim Scott was a guest on this program last November. He was here with Ron Johnson campaigning, and I had a chance to interview him, and I had a chance to meet him uh, when he was in town. And I, um, Tim Scott, I, I think, is a, is a very, very compelling story. I mean, you know, raised by a single mom, um, and really it's kind of a Horatio Alger sort of thing. He sort of pulled himself up by his bootstraps, and, and Tim Scott's message was, You you can overcome things, and the fact that you're born of a particular race doesn't mean that you're doomed to a life of failure, et cetera. And a compelling message, and, you know, very, very successful, and um, his his experience, you know, when he he talks about things from experience, I I think it's certainly somebody that people should listen to. Now, the problem was, and I saw that in the first debate, he's very, very soft-spoken, and I, I think he had trouble breaking through the, the the crowd and the, the Vivek Ramazwamis and the, you know, with all the, the insults and things like that. And, and I just think he, he never broke through telling me that, that this was not his time. But that, that doesn't mean that he didn't have, a, again, a compelling message, and it didn't mean that I didn't think he was going to be a very good president. But I, he just, he wasn't able to break through. And I think he came to the conclusion today that just continuing on, um, spending the money and, and he had a, he had a lot of money especially in the beginning of a campaign but I think you know he could read the numbers and see that he's his candidacy just wasn't catching fire and I, I think as somebody who also recognized that the future of the Republican Party needs to be on be beyond Donald Trump I think he recognized that by staying in the race he wasn't. He wasn't going to be that Trump alternative, and he just kind of got in the way for somebody else who might. So Tim Scott announcing that he had uh, suspended his campaign, and it's unfortunate because again, his personal story and what I think was a positive message, uh, just it just was never able to to break through. The, the thing I, I look for. So now you're down to I guess four. You You've got Chris Christie who is not going anywhere, you've got, uh, that is he's not going to be the nominee, you've got Vivek Ramaswamy, who the sooner he leaves the stage, the better it will be. And then it's going to come down to DeSantis and to Nikki Haley. And hopefully by the time that the next debate rolls around, which is in early December, hopefully it'll be down to those two. And so, you know, voters can then just kind of make the decision as to, at least Republican voters, as to for those people who are looking for an alternative to Former President Trump, you know they can say, okay, it's going to be Nikki Haley or it's going to be DeSantis. For my money, I, I like them both, but I, I think this is Nikki Haley's time, and I think she's um, won or outperformed the majority of other people <clears throat> in the various debates. And I think she's got an interesting story, and I, I think she's you's starting to raise more money and take a, a more public profile. But uh, Tim Scott, I you. It, one of the things people said is, oh, are, are you angling to be, are you going to endorse somebody? You're angling to be the vice president. He had a great line. He said, you know, that, that's, that's, that's never been on my career list. You know, that's, that's never been on my want to do list. So that that's, you know, who knows what that would mean. I would think he would be an outstanding vice president. And if whoever emerges would go to him and say, Senator Scott, we would like you to be our running mate. I would hope he would consider certainly in the interest of the country to do something like that. But, Um, Tim Scott, a strong candidate, a good candidate, just was not his time. But now the the field is cut down to four. Hopefully it'll be cut down to two really, really soon. And then hopefully it'll be cut down to one. And then, again, Republican voters can decide, do you want to continue with with Donald Trump or do you want to find that, that alternative? And plan A alternative is fill in the blank. Back with more in just a second. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So one of the questions I get is, looking back over, you know, you know, almost 30 years on the radio, 25 at WTMJ, you take positions and issues. Is there anything you, you, you think you were wrong on? And I said, well, you know, that's – I said, you know, you're – I said, at least as far as big issues, I don't think I was necessarily wrong at the time. But in retrospect, I, I will give you an example. When they tore down the Park East Freeway, and for those of you who aren't familiar with this, that the Park East Freeway used to be a freeway spur off of i-43 that that dumped out on the the east side and john norquist who was mayor a couple mayors ago hated freeways and his idea was we'll tear this down and then you're going to have all this development that that was under the East freeway well they they tore it down and and nothing happened for 15 plus years It, it was an absolute moonscape and so, you know, as somebody who opposed tearing that down, I, I got to say, I was right, I was right, it's a moonscape. Well, what, what happened is, you know, after 15 years or so, the Bucks came along, they wanted to develop Pfizer. they built Pfizer for them, and now it's turned into the Deer District. And, and so, yeah, it, it took 15 or 20 years, um, but, but yeah, I, I now concede that tearing down the Park Freeway, you know, if, if you wait a couple decades, it, it's turned out to be good for the city. You know, so if you wait long enough... You know, maybe something will happen. I bring this up because Fox, you know, when we talk about uh, Foxconn, I've never understood people who root against the, the success of anything simply because of politics. You know, when the Foxconn development was announced, it had the potential for thousands and thousands of jobs. But because it was a Scott Walker initiative and because you know Donald Trump came and, and helped with the, the shoveling and stuff like that, people just hated it. They wanted it to fail. And I never understood why you would be rooting against something that, if it worked out, you know would create you know, again, thousands of jobs and bring all this economic development into the area. I will concede that Foxconn did not develop did not work out, at least initially, like people had planned or had hoped. I, I get it. But yet there are all these folks who are rooting for it to fail because it was a Scott Walker initiative, etc. Well, I, it now appears that the things might be turning. I mean, the big story is that Microsoft wants to develop over a thousand acres in Mount Pleasant's Wisconsin Innovation Park, mostly on land previously controlled by Foxconn and this plan by Microsoft it's expected to cover hundreds of millions of dollars in debt local governments incurred to buy the land and prepare the site for development and this is of course the latest thing six months after Microsoft paid 50 million dollars for a, a 315 acre parcel just east of the Fox uh, town Foxtown Foxconn campus my, my point is that Foxconn, as originally planned, did not develop like a lot of people hoped it would. And so all the haters out there, okay, yeah, you were right, it didn't develop that fashion. But now, you know, 10 years later, it looks like this, again, assuming Microsoft follows through, and I have no reason to believe that Microsoft won't, it's looking like a lot of the things that many of us hoped for that were going to occur with Foxconn it might have taken a little bit longer, and it might not be Foxconn, but it now looks like Microsoft to come in, and this a, a lot of those those hopes and dreams a lot of people in the state had, a lot of people in the area had, and folks like me had, looks like that's now going to come to fruition. Now, we're not going to know for a few years, but again, it's just like the Park East Freeway. You wait long enough, and, and maybe maybe positive stuff does end up happening. All right, when we come back... Where are you going to be Saturday morning? Stick around.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
0: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. All right. One of... Well, it will be interesting because th- this Friday, if this Friday is not a prearranged school off day in Wisconsin, it, it for teachers' conferences or whatever, it almost should be because there will be a number of kids who aren't going to be in school to, uh, on Friday. Why? Is it because or oh, they're sick? No, no, no. It's it's not that. It's because what happens when the sun comes up Saturday morning? Oh, yeah. The deer hunting season starts so what happens on the day before that is that lots of families um, where hunting is a family tradition what happens is if you want to be in the woods Early on, uh, when, when deer hunting season officially starts on Saturday morning, what happens is you got to get a head start, depending on where you're driving to, on, on Friday. So there will be a lot of kids that will be pulled out of schools, and they will be going up to the deer camps with dad or dad and mom as part of an overall family tradition that's there. Now, there was an interesting story that I, I stumbled across the other day. Um, the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, which does these, these, these forecasts, they are saying that they, they think, first of all, there's going to be fewer deer that are going to be taken this year than last year, um, in, in part because last year there were ideal conditions. They, they had snow on the ground, and for people who are hunting, you know, it, it's easier to track deer with snow and things like that. But, but that's, that's not really the, 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 what's going on here. The big thing is that the number of people who are hunting – has been continually decreasing. Here's um, let's see. Here's the the numbers. Um, in let's see, in 2022, the gun deer season, um, the agency, okay, DNR, they issued about 555,000 hunting licenses. At 555,000, which is is still that, that's a large number, 555,000. This year, license sales are running 2% behind as of the end of October. So that, that could turn around, of course. But that 555,000, um, hundred it looks like they're going to sell fewer licenses um, than they did last year. This is not unusual because what they estimate is since 2000, so for the last two-plus decades, the number of licenses – deer hunting licenses, has dropped about 1.5% each year. Um, so what, what's happening is you have fewer and fewer hunters that are taking up the, the sport. Now, again, I mean, last year you had 550,000, over half a million uh, deer hunting licenses that were issued. So that that's a lot. There, there's no question about it. But it's been a number that has been steadily declining over the last 20 years. I was talking to a a friend of mine who's been hunting with his dad for essentially all his life. And his dad's in his 80s. And, you know, he was telling me that on their property, on the property they hunt at, 25 years ago, there were maybe 25 people that hunted. Now it's down to four. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. It, It Look, I, I don't want to. I don't want to overstate this. I don't want to argue that oh, deer hunting is 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 going to be non-existent in the next five or ten years. That, that's not the case. But it does appear to me that you look at the hard numbers, and you see fewer and fewer people that are getting involved in that. And it's been an ongoing trend. It's been going on for the last couple of decades. And I, I think one of the things you're starting to see is more and more younger people are not getting involved in, in hunting. And and look, I, I'm not a deer hunter, but I, I think in large part it's because my 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 dad wasn't a deer hunter. I, I didn't grow up in a hunting in environment, so I just, I never got the bug. It wasn't like, you know, weed, it wasn't like a family tradition. I never went hunting when I was a kid because my dad wasn't a hunter, so boom, I, I've never become a hunter. Similarly, I, I think that there's a lot of people who for whatever reason, maybe of my generation us baby boomers who, who didn't get into hunting or parents weren't hunters, so, you know, our kids didn't pick up the hunting gene. Our number is 855-616-1620. It's a why question, and I don't know that there's any right or wrong answer, but my, my why question is why why are there fewer hunters, and will this, will this turn around, and what needs to happen for it to turn around? And I think, I mean, again, I think part of it is just – Just like people riding Harley-Davidson motorcycles. I I think for younger people, okay, that's that's grandpa's motorcycle or that's dad's motorcycle. It's not what I'm interested in. I think the same thing is true for hunting. I think it's a family tradition, and the fewer families that do it, the the fewer people that get involved in hunting. 855-616-1620. What is the future of deer hunting in Wisconsin? I think part of it has also been, maybe not necessarily last year, but I think part of it has been, Also, a scarcity of of deer in certain deers, a scarcity of deer in certain areas, because, I mean, I've talked to people who, at least in the areas that they used to hunt years ago, they they just don't see deer. And at some point in time, while there's a lot of fun stuff that goes along with hunting and all, if you go year after year and you make the investment and stuff and you, you never see a buck to shoot at, well, after a while, you kind of say, "Okay, well, maybe it's time to take up bowling." Eight five five six one six one six twenty. What is the future of deer hunting? Why are fewer people doing it? We discuss in just a moment. Oh, and, and by the way, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not anti-hunting at, at all. I just—it's like I said. I just—it's not for me. I didn't grow up doing it. So, it just wasn't part of of my family culture growing up. I have no problem at all. I think it's I think it's necessary. As long as we're talking about ethical hunting, I have no problem with, I think it's necessary to, to cull the herd and things like that. So I, I have no issue with people who do it. I'm just, this was just such a tradition here and the number of people who are deer hunting has been decreasing by like 1% each year. You might say, well, 1% isn't that big a decrease. Well, you know, 1% decrease from 2022 to 2023 isn't. But 1% every year, starting in 2000, or 1.5% is eight five five Let's start with Mike in Walk. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm just getting ready for the, the big hunt uh, this coming okay. weekend. And, um, you know, over the years, like you said, we've seen a de- decline. We go up near Hayward, and some of the resorts are shutting down. Some of the restaurants are shutting down because there's just not enough hunters up there. Right. And, you know, I you know, was waiting. I couldn't wait for the, the day when my son would come up, and he came up one year and just didn't care for it. Um, you know, the, the, these kids are on the video games and the, the phones and all that, all the, the immediate response. And sometimes you sit in the woods for hours and hours and you might not see a deer. Right. So I don't know if this generation's the, the, the now generation where everything's instant,
3: um, but we definitely need to get the kids back into hunting because they're really suffering up north.
0: Mike, did your, uh, did, was your dad a hunter? Did you grow up in a hunting family?
3: My dad wasn't, but my neighbor. My okay. neighbor got me into hunting, thankfully, Yep.
0: yeah. Okay, so that and so you've just enjoyed it. Did, did you did you ever ask him, mean, so, I mean, I understand. You take your son out there, you're hunting. He says, Dad, I just really didn't like this. Did you ever push him on, on what it was that he didn't like about it or why, why why he didn't want to spend quality time with his old man sitting in the, in the, in this, in the, deer, in the deer stand?
1: <laughs> yeah, for me, it's quality time. I don't care whether I see a deer or not. It's
0: you know, right. time with the
1: family. But he told me, Dad, it's boring and it's cold.
0: Yeah. He's right on both of those. <laughs> yeah, I know. I understand. So, no, th- uh, yeah. No, I, I get it. No, thanks for calling. I mean, I think that, that that's sort of an interesting thing. And then, of course, you know, Mike's son, when he has kids, Mike's grandkids, if if the son didn't enjoy deer hunting, you know, chances are that then, you know, it that you kind of you kind of lose that. So the, the next generation, if dad's not a deer hunter, well, I understand there might be some exceptions to that rule. But if dad's not a deer hunter, you know, chances are that the grandkid isn't going to be a deer hunter. The, the son isn't going to be a deer hunter as well. Let's talk to Tim and Shawno. Tim, Shawno, big deer hunting hey, area. Hi, yeah. Tim. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Hey, thanks a lot for taking my call. Sure. You just like to say I started deer hunting when I was just coming out of college in 2020. Uh, we started with seven people going up to deer camp, and this year, 23 years later, we've got 15 coming up. So, largest deer camp ever. So we're busting at the seams. But you know, you know, taking a look at it, you know, when I was a kid, you know, in high school and in middle school, and you know, you, you know, the week before deer hunting season, it was like a quarter of the class, to 40 yep. percent of the class, get ready to go to go to deer camp. You know, now I asked my kids, I asked my daughter the other day, uh, she was to high school, and said, "I was like, hey." who do you know that's going to do, you know going deer hunting this season and she's like oh i think i got this one kid in my biomed class it's going you know I, I think overall it's just you know if you take a look at all the activities my daughter she plays soccer well mm-hmm. when i was a kid you know that sport was like one you know it was right. one season and then that was it but now it's like year round. you know i just think that like kids get more and more involved and in, other activities that just suck up their time and mm-hmm. then there's the technology and they just lose interest and I, I think that's just kind of the overall decrease in why the numbers are just going down you is know? there
0: anything that's going to happen to turn it around or is that just this just kind of the inevitable okay fewer and fewer people are going to do it
1: you know i think so it's just fewer and fewer people are going to do it i mean i remember when i did my hunter safety course out at the moose lodge in west dallas it was like man they filled that hall up with kids taking hunter safety and now it's like my two daughters they took hunter safety last year and it was like i don't even think there's 10 kids in the class out in germantown so i just yeah i just don't see it i don't see it getting any better and i don't know i don't think there's a solution to it to be honest i think it's just the the way that our our population our youth is moving to
0: right no thanks and i don't disagree and again i first of all i don't i don't want to downplay it there's still i mean last year you know, over half a million, well over half a million people, you know, took out deer licenses. So that's not, that's not saying that, okay, people aren't doing it. You know, 550,000 deer licenses tells me that lots of people are still participating in it, but it has been on the decline. And, and I think, you know, the first two callers nailed it. I think there's, there's a lot <clears throat> of that going on. I think that there's people, first of all, there's all these different interests. Secondly, I do think we have become I, I, I think we, we need more of an immediacy, that's things. You know, they used to, um, years ago, I, I remember when dog racing, greyhound racing first came to the state, and it, we built, I think there were five tracks. There was one in Kenosha. There was one in um, in. There was one in Wisconsin Dells. There was one in Lake Geneva. There was one kind of up in the Appleton area. There was one in the northwest uh, part of the state. And these were like a license to print money. Oh, we've got gambling. People would go to these races. Well, at dog races, there's like eight minutes between races. What killed dog racing in the state was the fact that shortly after that, You had these compacts that were set, and then you had Indian casinos that started, and then people could play the slot machines, and you could play blackjack. and The idea was, okay, well, why am I going to go to a racetrack and wait, you know, ten minutes between races when I can I can be playing blackjack, and every minute there's a different hand, or I can be pulling. It's as fast as I can put money in and pull the slot machine levers. People want that action, and I think that's you know one of the things that happens when you have. For example, hunting and stuff like that. It's like like Mike was saying. Okay, I take my kid along, and he's cold, and he's bored, and we don't see a deer, and we're sitting out there for three or four or five hours, and it's like, okay, Dad, I'm I'm ready to go play the video games. And it's not a knock on the, on the kid. It's it's just not. But it's we have the, this limited attention span now, and it's like, okay, I I understand where some people might not think it's fun to sit in a deer stand for hours and hours on end and not see a deer. Let's talk to Crystal in Grafton. Crystal, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hey Jeff, how's it going?
0: I am well, thank you. Okay, are you a hunter?
2: Um, I used to be. I haven't the last time I hunted was in November of two thousand and two. So it's been a minute. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. What why did you stop?
2: But I I stopped, for me, it really just came down to lack of time. Um, I graduated in high school in 03. I went off to college. I was too busy for that first year. And then it was just all the activities of internships and then part-time jobs and then school and then career. And it just, it, I never had the time. I could never get off work to go. And yep. it's honestly, it's something that I do miss. I mean, I enjoyed walking around. My folks both um deer hunted so my mom would be in a stand my dad and i would walk and i really enjoyed being out in the woods and walking around and yeah sometimes it stunk when we couldn't get a deer and we couldn't get the meat home you know for the winter right. but no i i enjoyed it it's just i just don't have the time for it anymore
0: um are, are do you are you married do you have kids
2: yes i am married uh no kids <laughs> does,
0: does your husband hunt does your husband hunt, or he, did he grow up he hunting he does not yeah.
2: No, he didn't. And honestly, if he did, that might have been a little bit more of a motivation to get back in there. Sure, sure. But um, no, he he didn't grow up hunting at all.
0: Yeah, no. Thanks. And again, that's how, that's how I was. I mean, it's, I just did. I did not grow up with that. I'm, an, I'm not anti-hunting. Just didn't grow up. Uh, Kyle in Mequon says, Jeff, smaller families trending are part of it. Older hunters stopping and fewer to fill the ranks, so to speak, will lead to this. My dad was the youngest of twelve. Venison was a big part of their food supply to feed their family. Um yes Jeff uh, I think gun hunting is going to continue hunting is going to continue to shift from gun to archery. The number of archers continues to grow and this is real hunting starting in September when the weather is mild and lasting until November. Jeff I went hunting once with my dad and I froze. That was 50 years ago. I never went with my kids either. Well, that's it. You kind of have that, that one, you know, experience. Jeff, some people are concerned about animal cruelty. Maybe, but I, I, I don't know. I, my guess is a lot of the people who are the, the hardcore anti-hunting people are people that never grew up hunting. Because um, I think most of the people that if you've grown up around ethical hunting and things like that, you, you see it as something other than animal um, cruelty. Um, you know, no question about it, Jeff, I think, uh, money and the cost of things, inflation has a lot to do with it. A lot of people take the whole week off. They they can't afford it this year. Um, well, except it's, it's, again, it's, it's not just like one year to one year. It's been the last 20 some years, which tells me there, there's a trend. Jeff, it would be interesting to see if the demographics of license sales are aging out. I, I would be shocked. It, it, I would be shocked if it isn't. Jeff, hunting is done outdoors. You have to get up early. It's cold and it's wet. It can't be done online. Young people can't risk those exposures. They, quote, suffer from too many things to take a chance on it. Well, I just think it's it's preferences. Um, Jeff, even though there was a hunting history in my family, I find this fascinating. All my adult kids in their 30s and most of their friends have no interest in being out in the woods this time of year. As they choose instead to spend frequent fall, winter weekends somewhere warm, argue with that, or in a big city partaking in holiday season activities. It's just an evolving change in leisure time priorities of of younger generations. Um, yeah. Jeff, um, snowmobiling is a lot less as well. You know, what are the youngsters doing these days? Well, I um, I mean, I think, you know, you're, you're finding, you know, different things to do stuff. And I do think it's, I do think it kind of depends on whether you, you know, what it is that you, you grew up with. And don't get me wrong, a lot of deer hunters still going to be out there. Um, so, again, you're looking at over half a million people last year, and it'll probably be around that number as well. But at the same time, uh, it, it's decreasing. And I, going back to what our first caller said, too, it, it is, you know, there's a lot of communities in in the northern part of the state that depend on, on the deer hunting tourism and the, the fact that it, <clears throat> there, there are places that they, they make their nut. They they make their the money, their they're nut for the year. It's, you know, on the, the ten days of deer hunting with the uh, hotels and the bars and the restaurants and things like that. And as that decreases, it becomes a lot more difficult for them to you know, for for them to survive. Where this all goes, don't know. But if you're wondering where people are in school on Friday, it might be that they got pulled out early. Deer hunting starts Saturday morning. And if you're out in the woods Good luck to you. Hope you get your buck. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. One of the big decisions that the the state is going to have to deal with over the the next few years is what to do with the I-794 bridge, that they connect, what, what they have to do with this. Now, I said earlier in the program that we, we used to have, 20, 25 years ago, it used to be this Park East Freeway. And the Park East Freeway, for those of you who weren't living here at the time, it was a freeway spur that cut off I-43 right before it got into the Marquette Interchange, and it went east. Ultimately, I mean, originally the plan was going to be it was going to connect to the Lake Freeway. So you'd have a bypass around Milwaukee, but that never got built. And so the freeway went, I don't know, a mile, maybe two miles, whatever, and then just dumped out onto city streets. Never got the use it it wanted. Um, The mayor at the time, John Norquist, was he, he anti roads, anti freeway, one of the big urbanists was the phrase that was used. And his idea was essentially cars are bad. We want to we, we don't want cars in the city and what we want to do is we'll, we'll have a better quality of life if we just have more neighborhoods and people don't have to leave. I always thought that was a dumb policy because the, the truth of the matter is I think the way cities grow and th- th- thrive and survive is, is they have there has to be easy access to them you know for people who are living in in Waukesha, but are working in Milwaukee or people who are living in Mequon and working in Milwaukee, you want to make it easy for them to get there and back. Norquist's idea was, well, you know, if we make it hard enough for people to get in there, they'll just move to Milwaukee. And, and I just, I don't believe that. I, I continue to not believe that. But anyways, that was the dispute about the Park East. And the argument was, if you take down this Park East freeway, that really doesn't go anywhere anyhow, what will happen is there will be economic development. Well, nothing happened for 15 or 20 years. And then, you know, the Bucks came along, Pfizer Forum came along, you had the development of the Deer District. So it took a couple decades. but But yes, now you have... You know you have new stuff that's going on in there, but I say it took a couple of decades. But keep in mind, the Park East Freeway never went anywhere. It, it didn't. It didn't connect to places. It didn't connect to another freeway. I-794 is different, and I, I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who takes I-794 every day to to get to work. I come in from the north. You cut off on I-794, and I we're on the old Grand Avenue Mall building, the avenue. So, I mean, I get off on, you know, one of the, the streets that's, that's there, the Plankton, and, and then work my way back. But I-794 connects people to the Lake Freeway. In contrast, if you are coming from Cudahy, Bayview, Oak Creek, and anywhere um, on the, the quote-unquote south side you you really have two alternatives you can get on I94 and you can take the freeway in that is often crowded and you know it can be a long ride could be can be a long ride to get to the freeway depending where you are on the south side in contrast you've got I794 and you got the lake freeway which provides another alternative the lake freeway of course you get on it goes along the lake it comes over the Hone bridge when it comes into downtown Milwaukee You then have a couple options. You can get off and you can go on Lincoln Memorial Drive and head north. Or alternatively, you can get on I-794 and you can take that. And you can use that as something that then connects you to I-94 going westbound. If you work in Wauwatosa or if you work in Waukesha or Brookfield or wherever, it'll take you out there via the freeway. Conversely, you can go north. And it will take you, again, if you, you know, work in Shorewood or Glendale or you're heading up to Green Bay or whatever, it's a way to connect to different freeways. There are a number of the cars, not the people, not cars crowd who believe that if you tore down I-794, what would happen is you would have all this economic development that would spring up in the shadow of what is now the freeway. And so they are pushing for this. There was a story in the Milwaukee Business Journal about how people offering comments on this. The number of tear it down comments uh, were, were twice what the uh, leave it up comments were, which isn't surprising because again, the the anti car folks do a much better job of mobilizing and things like that. But this is something the state's going to have to deal with. Our number is seven. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. See, I, I think reasonable people can disagree about stuff, but tearing down I-794, I think makes no sense at all. First of all, the idea that there's going to be, again, some giant economic development in that area, I think is pie in the sky. Now, I don't know what's going to happen 25 years from now. I mean, who, who knows what's going to be 25 years from now? But I do know for the first couple of decades, there's going to be nothing. Secondly, unlike the Park East Freeway, I-794 has a use. I mean, it is something that people drive on a daily basis, tens of thousands of cars who use it as a way of getting down to the airport or getting into the city of Milwaukee or, you know, getting, again, out to Brookfield or getting out to Mequon or wherever. It is something that is used. In addition, if you tear this down, think of what that is going to do to city traffic. Because north south, the the city of Milwaukee is divided by this thing we call the Milwaukee River, and if you've ever been on one of those, you know streets that goes across the Milwaukee River at a time, okay, when like the boats are going up and down the uh, going up and down the river, and they have to raise the bridge, you you know you can remember you, can, you know about how long you can get stuck in that. Now, imagine if you didn't have I-794 to serve as an alternative to get you around. Imagine what the traffic's going to be. In addition, for the trucks that drive on the freeway, do you really want to have all these trucks diverted off onto city streets and then, all right, going back and then picking up the lake freeway? I mean, do we really want to have all these trucks, instead of just being able to essentially bypass the city streets, do we want these trucks Trundling down Clyborne or Michigan or Wisconsin Avenue or whatever. Uh, look, I, I understand this desire and I understand there's people who just don't like cars and things like that. But I-794 to me provides a vital, vital purpose. And I think it would be what's the word I'm looking for? Crazy to tear it down. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, we discuss. Jeff Milwaukee is backwards. Stuff that works. That would be like I-794. They want to get rid of things that are useless. My suggestion would be like the hop. They want to keep and expand. Um, yes, that's, uh, you've got that there. Um, Jeff, um, let's designate 794 East as a national treasure. Don't forget the Blues Brothers use that in their movie. Jeff, I drive a truck over the Harbor Bridge every workday. If the freeway was torn down, I would have to do that on city streets. Yes, you would. Says so that is just plain, um, Dumb. Um Jeff, I believe that disconnecting the hone bridge from I ninety four forty three will force extra traffic on the ninety four forty three. Well that it clearly it will. Therefore requiring it to soon need a fourth lane each way between the airport and National Avenue. What's that cost in resultant dollars and in disruption? Um Jeff, I agree with you hundred percent. Don't get rid of seven hundred ninety four. Um Jeff, let me know everybody's reaction when there's an issue on the high rise and people are forced to de- detour downtown streets instead of the current configuration. Well, yeah, that that's the <clears throat> exactly, that's that's the thing. And and how I mean, how are you how are you going to get around? How are we going to handle traffic over the Milwaukee River? Do you really want all those trucks that are coming? Jeff, my husband and I have a condo in the third ward and we use 794 all the time to get in and out i went to one of the public information centers to give feedback and found the folks who want to tear it down don't even live in the area many were young and anti-car folks it's so frustrating yes there's no question that that's not everybody But that's a large portion of this is that we hate car crowds and we hate the freeway crowds, and they don't even live in the area or use this. But it's like, okay, freeway is bad. We want to get rid of it. We want to have mass transit. Jeff, demolishing 794 is just another instance in which some are attempting to drive industry out of the city. Well, it just will make it a lot more difficult for people who live – in Oak you know, Creek or Bayview or Cudahy, it's going to make it a lot more difficult for them to get into, you know, and, and out of of the city. So, I mean, I think, you know, some of the ideas are that if people think, oh, that may make them more inclined to move into the city, I think that that's, um, you know, very, very naive. Let's start with Scott in South Milwaukee. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
3: Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, yeah, on this specific topic, whatever, I'll start out with saying, the Hone bridge used to be labeled or known as the bridge to nowhere right. because when you went south it went nowhere Right. all right if they tear down that stretch from the home bridge whatever that connects to 94 and 43 the Hone bridge will again become the the bridge to nowhere this time whatever going going north right. right i again i i went to a number of the one of the public information sessions on this topic and my take is again they have three primary options. Whatever number one is, do nothing and fix, and fix it whatever in kind as it's needed to. The second, the second big bucket was was tear it all down, and then the, and then the third option was to reduce the footprint of it. My take is that because I think that the current stretch might might be a little bit overbuilt, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm all in favor of uh, of reducing the footprint. I think that by reducing the footprint of it, whatever it. I, I, whatever, it, 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 it keeps that connection between 794 and the 9443 right. interstate. It, it it opens up some land, whatever for future for future development, and then finally, whatever again, what people were saying most most at those public information sessions was that they wanted to help reconnect some of those neighborhoods, and it would and it would allow for that to to happen to happen as well. So I'm in favor of not tearing it down but reducing the footprint of it. Yeah,
0: thanks for the call, Scott. And, I, and that is, of course, the, the, the middle ground on this. Um, I, I just, I don't think you can tear it down. I, I think it is, I think it's not even, I got a couple of texters saying, oh, it's not going to impact traffic at all. What? How can it not impact traffic? It, it, I mean, it, it's going to either force more cars onto ninety four forty three, or it's going to force cars, I mean, people are still going to be coming across the Hone Bridge, and then they're going to have to connect with 94 Or with 43 so they're going to be on city streets how can it not create dramatically more traffic because it is a major conduit to get people you know from the south side into the city and then on to wherever they're going wayne in st francis wayne you're in wtmj
1: yeah i just wanted to make a comment that i went to the public information uh session that they had in bayview
0: bayview okay
1: and it was a it was a packed house and I would, you know, they have these people saying, yeah, that they need to, should rip it down. But I'll tell you to a person in that uh, room, they did not want to see that go away because as you say, it's a conduit for them to get around. And even for people to come down to the lake front and the lake, I mean, if these people go and take, you know, a, see how many cars use that every single day. Mm-hmm.
0: I I don't get it. Well well yeah, no, see it's real easy if you don't drive it <clears throat> or you don't have a car and you live in downtown Milwaukee, what what do you care about it? But if you're like you're talking about, if you're in Saint Francis or you're in Bayview, or you're in Cuttahay, and that's the main conduit that gets you to your, your jobs or gets you through Milwaukee to get to your job, it, it, it's an important thing and you're recognizing that it's going to be a nightmare if they tear this down for no good reason.
1: Yeah, I use it every single day. So, yeah. I mean, to me, it, it's very important.
0: Yeah. No. thanks for calling. And I guess that's the case. And, again, I have some people arguing that it wouldn't make any – you don't understand that there's going to be much more development and it's going to come a lot faster than the Park East and you've already got some renovation in the Third Ward. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I understand all, all that, but at the same time, this is a road that goes places and if – unless and until we're all ready to give up our cars, and I don't think the people that live in Bayview and Cudahy and St. Francis are at that point. Now it still serves a purpose. Now, if you want to talk about reducing the footprint, I guess I have to see the plans on that, but tearing it down. I don't think so. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. All right. We were talking about the demolition of I-794. It, it seems to me you take that down and it's just got to increase traffic problems. Uh, she watches traffic every day. Deb Lazica. Hi Debbie. Hey, what do you think?
4: Yeah, um, uh- I was just thinking, um, anecdotally, as best I can talk about it, but um, if you tear down 794, that whole corridor, the home bridge from Lincoln Memorial Drive all the way down, anything that happens accident-wise along 4394 and points south, even towards the airport, I can't tell you how many times I have had people tell me thank you for letting me know about it because I was able to pop on over to 794 and that was an awesome alternate route. And as population starts to move out a little bit more towards the outer areas, South Milwaukee, Oak Creek, all those areas included, there's always more possibilities for more accidents to happen along 4394 and that whole corridor. So tearing that down... uh, Sounds like it might be a good idea, but honestly, if you do that without having some sort of an alternate plan in place to be able to, for other roadways to be able to handle that yeah. that flow of traffic, it's gonna kind of end up being like what the northern part is from the Marquette up. There is no good alternate route. When something happens on 43, you kind of stuck.
0: Well, it's I funny hear- you should mention that because I was driving to work this morning. The, I, I come down 43, and the the spur, it was it was closed. They must have been doing construction or whatever. So I had to go over the high-rise bridge, get off on 6th Street National Avenue, and wind my way back to get to our offices at the Avenue. And if if you had to do that on a regular basis, it would be an absolute nightmare. I mean, you know, it, it added an extra 10 minutes to my commute. But if there had been heavy traffic, I mean, it would have been, stuff would have been backed up on those city streets. It would have just it's been a nightmare.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So it's just something that, you know, scalability of the entire region is a thing. And and uh, communities on the outskirts, not outskirts because it's now becoming a whole metropolitan area, that's happening. The populations are moving and people are going to need to live somewhere. If you're going to cut off roadways to get into um, the more business end types of areas uh, that is downtown milwaukee you're just making for a big problem
0: dev lazica thank you um people can hear more of your work coming up on wisconsin's afternoon news when we come back we'll find out what the guys on wisconsin afternoon news have on their minds please stick around